The scripture today is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. So we've just come through the holiday season, but I don't think we're actually through the holiday season yet because uh, in Mobile, Mardi Gras stuff has already started. So yeah, the, the holiday season actually goes all the way through like Ash Wednesday, but then we're in Lent and it's another holiday season and we get all the way to Easter and then we're in another holiday season all the way until Pentecost. So uh, we're gonna be in a holiday season, I guess until May. I think that's about right. But we've come through this, uh, this holiday season in the liturgical calendar of the church in which we reflect on the beginning of the life of Christ. So we went through the season of Advent, which is all about preparing ourselves for the coming Messiah. And then we get to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and we reflect on the birth of Christ. And then last Sunday we celebrated Epiphany, which is when, uh, when the Magi came and visited Christ. And so... This right here, this season we've just gone through, is about the sum of what we know about the early life of Christ, right? Everything else about the early life of Christ we know very little about. We have the nativity story like we've been through, and then this time in which Jesus' family had to travel to Egypt to escape Herod. We have also the stories about uh, when Jesus is presented at the temple uh, for his naming ceremony, and uh, Simeon, Simeon and Anna have a prophecy over him. We know that Jesus' father was a carpenter, and we could probably assume that Jesus helped out with that to some degree. We know the story of Jesus getting lost at the temple when he was a young boy, and he's found teaching the rabbis. But apart from that, the next thing we know Jesus is in his 30s. That's a lot of time that we don't really know a whole lot about. I'm not even 30 yet, and I feel like I've lived like a pretty full life, and you know, that's like a full story that's going on there, but we don't get that. The Gospels really pick up steam with this day, the baptism of the Lord. And I think there's a very important reason for that. Because everything about Jesus was all leading up to this moment. And everything that we have about Jesus all gets launched with this moment. Jesus' baptism. And this right here is where we have just a few years, just a few years of Jesus' ministry to follow. 
And that right there is the brunt of the Gospels. And that right there is what launches the Jesus movement and this, uh, this uh, religious following we call Christianity over the next 2,000 years, the institution of the church. It all begins with this day, baptism of the Lord Sunday, a day in which we reflect on how Jesus was baptized to begin ministry. Baptism is a holy marker of new things. That's what it's all about, newness. And having the Sunday at the beginning of the year, I feel like can be pretty helpful because we have our own new start. Now, sure, most of us have already given up on our New Year's resolutions. And by most of us, I particularly mean myself. Uh, my endeavors to eat healthier fell apart last Wednesday whenever Kristen left me for Boston. It's been a journey. Uh, but still, we're still in the new year, and we have a whole new start ahead of us. What a great place to start with Jesus' baptism, because this is the way in which Jesus' ministry began. Jesus comes from Galilee to John, John the Baptist, who's at the Jordan River baptizing people telling them, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And as Jesus comes close to be baptized, John says, wait, what are you doing here? I was just telling you, uh, telling these people about you and how I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals, and yet here you are coming to be baptized by me? That's not how it's supposed to work, right? I'm supposed to be baptized by you. We even see this very same sentiment reflected uh, a little while later whenever uh, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, 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 stop. You shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. Jesus explains, however, the importance of him being the servant. So Jesus comes to be baptized by John and says, it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus' ministry begins with baptism. And this baptism that we're going to be talking about today, we see more fully expressed and reflected uh, whenever we look at John, the Gospel according to John, chapter 3. Jesus tells us in verse 5, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom, of the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Baptism sets everything in motion for us. But why is this the case? Why must it be by water and the Spirit? And why is this how Jesus started his ministry instead of ending his ministry this way? Wouldn't this be a more fitting end? Well, we turn now to a document in the United Methodist Church called By Water and the Spirit. And this document is a supplemental text that the United Methodist Church point, uh, put out there to explain our theology on baptism. But I want to focus for a moment just on the name, by water and the Spirit. 
Because it comes out of that John chapter 3 passage where he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Let's start with water. So whenever scientists are looking for planets that could support life, I know I've got to go to the astronomy route. Whenever scientists are looking for planets that could support life, what's the one thing they're looking for? Water. Yeah, is there any water, any sign of water on this planet? In fact, a lot of the uh, work that's been done on Mars has been looking for uh, where are the remnants of water. Uh, because water sustains and sources life. Water is the essence of life. I mean, when you consider that over 70% of our world is water, or that around 60% of our bodies are water, it really puts the necessity of water into perspective. You could also consider how every single major city in the world sits near some water source, right? Water is essential. Further, we've understood water to be the great purifier, the great cleanser for millennia. Ancient civilizations uh, recognized that from early on, if things needed to be clean, water was going to do the job, right? We talked with the kids about how do you do your dishes? How about your laundry? What about when you need to clean yourself? There's always water involved. Even if you're one of those people who uses the dry shampoo to clean your hair, there's still water in that. <laughs> water has uh, always been understood as the great purifier. And uh, while its abundance might make it seem a little mundane for us, ancient civilizations considered this to be a blessing and even a sacred element. The prayers for rain were enduring because no civilization could survive without that water. Additionally, I want to point out that this practice uh, has been such a sacred part of religions for so long that every single religion, a major religion in the world, has some practice of what's called ablution. And ablution is the ritual cleansing of oneself with water. In, uh, in Hinduism and Buddhism, there's the uh, tie to the Ganges River. In uh, Islam, there is the practice of ablution in many different forms in order to purify oneself before ritualistic practices. In Christianity, we talk about uh, uh, baptism. In Judaism, there are uh, two different forms. There is uh, one form which is for the ritualistic purification of hands before eating. Washing hands is an ancient practice, go figure. But then there's also, in Judaism, a standing practice called tevila. And tevila is the ritual cleansing in a mikvah. And a mikvah is a ritualistic bath. Uh, so a mikvah is essentially like a, a standing tub, you know, about yay tall, and uh, filled with water, and you know, you get in there to ritualistically cleanse yourself before, before uh, like priests would do something uh, in the temple. Uh, you can also do this ritualistic cleansing of tevila uh, in moving water like a river. And this practice, teliva, is the practice from which we get baptism. And it was an important part of Jewish culture because of the, uh, what we consider our Old Testament, uh, the Torah for, for Jews. 
there are many different laws of purity that in order to come before God, you must have a clean self. And a clean self represents a clean heart. In fact, uh, there is this, there's this group of Jews called the Essenes who are the primary ones responsible for us even having copies of the Old Testament today. They are the ones who essentially made copies of, uh, of all of these texts, uh, which we end up calling the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Essenes, as they're copying down these scrolls word for word for word, they end up coming across the name of God. And what they would do is, before they could write the name of God, they would, ha they would have to go through the practice of tevila in a mikvah to purify themselves before they could even write the name of God down. This is how important ritualistic cleaning was. And so whenever John comes on the scene and he's baptizing people, it's not a new practice. Rather, he's, uh, he's taking this ancient practice and incorporating it into a new uh, train of thought, saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. The Messiah has come. And he's calling on people to ritualistically cleanse themselves, to purify themselves before they encounter the Messiah. And this is where we get baptism. And uh, this very concept that we have baptism comes from the Greek word uh, baptismo, which really just means to immerse oneself, as in to immerse oneself in water. Now, in Jesus' own life, he knows that he's about to begin the holy work of ministry that would change the course of the world. So he begins this work by being baptized. He begins it by being baptized, recognizing the importance of ritualistic purity and cleanliness before beginning holy work, ministry. And the church, as in the church universal, continues to understand the importance of imitating the life of Christ. And because of his mandate to be baptized and then to baptize others, we consider baptism a sacrament. And a sacrament is a holy act that involves an outward sign of a an outward and physical sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Water is our outward and physical sign, representing the cleansing that comes with the baptism of the Spirit. So, who knows what the symbol is for the United Methodist Church? Cross and flame. Yeah, good job. Very good. I'm proud of y'all. Now, why do we use these elements in our symbol? Yeah, a little bit tougher. So the cross is just the general symbol of Christianity. This is to identify the United Methodist Church as a denomination of uh, the Christian faith. But then the flame, the flame is the key part of all of this. Yes, it represents the, the uh, tongues of fire that came down upon the disciples during Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. You see, the United Methodist Church uh, came out of the, what's called the, holy, excuse me, the holiness movement, uh, this recognition of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in Christians' lives uh, to uh, move them toward perfection, toward holiness. 
And so this flame, representing the Holy Spirit, just as on the day of Pentecost, shows us that the United Methodist Church firm, is firmly founded on the Christian faith guided by the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus said, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. We believe that baptism is about more than just water. Water is the outward and physical sign. But the inward and spiritual grace comes from the Spirit. So, whenever Jesus has been baptized, as he comes up out of the water, what ends up happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are these two, two moments that happen simultaneously. This dove uh, or excuse me, the Holy Spirit ends up descending upon Christ as a dove, at whether or not this was a physical dove or if we're just like, this is a representation of how graceful it was, we're not entirely sure. But then also we have God speaking. And God says, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And so even right here, we see the Spirit at work in baptism. Now, throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit has uh, many different names and descriptors, whether in the Old Testament or New Testament, but under, uh, themes and understandings like the Holy Spirit as our helper, our comforter, our advocate, our counselor, our guide, our intercessor, our teacher, and many more are all at play. And so when we talk about being baptized by the Spirit, we are talking about being united with the Spirit, to have with us at all times this helper, this comforter, this advocate, counselor, guide, intercessor, teacher, and more. By being baptized by the Spirit, we are incorporated into something greater than ourselves. The United Methodist document on baptism by water and the Spirit describes how Working in the lives of people before, during, and after their baptism, the Spirit is, effect, is the effective agent of salvation. So, referring back to John chapter 3, verse 5 is whenever Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless one is born again by water and the Spirit, uh, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus continues in verse 6 by saying, what is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. And so the practice of baptism is often linked with this understanding of a new birth. Being born anew by the Holy Spirit, giving us new life. Being baptized by the spirit means taking on this new identity in our baptism. It means having this new start. It means the beginning of a new life. Now, in Christianity, we often talk about the significance of new life, but I don't think we fully understand what it means to live into a new life. You see, having a new life effectively means leaving behind the old life. We can't live a new life while clinging to an old life. Otherwise, we just get some weird hybrid that really just ends up falling back into being the old life. So this whole process of a new life involves leaving behind the old. And this is why water and the spirit are integral parts of baptism. 
By water, we wash off the old self. By the Spirit, we take on the new self. By water, we wash off the old self. By Spirit, we take on the new self. This is an act of God's grace at work in us. And we, as United Methodists, we are people of grace. In fact, nearly every doctrine of the United Methodist Church is characterized by this concept of grace. But the important thing to remember about grace is that it has nothing to do with us, but is entirely for us. Grace has nothing to do with us, but is entirely for us. Grace is the sole action of God through the Holy Spirit based on the love of Christ that is for our new life. It is God at work in our lives before we are even aware of God's existence. This is what we call provenient grace. It's God at work in our salvation, which is what we call justifying grace. And it is God at work in our journey toward holiness, which is what we call sanctifying grace. However, there's one aspect of grace that we can easily forget because it's not uh, often talked about. It's what John Wesley considered regenerating grace, which sounds super fancy. But if we want to break this word down, regeneration is just a uh, conjunction of regenesis, a new beginning. Regenerating grace takes place between, uh, put between them because this isn't exactly a linear fashion, but it takes place between justification and sanctification. It is the grace that bestows new life. As God is working in us for our salvation, there is also this transformation of new life that leads us on into sanctification, this life of holiness. And baptism is the marker of that, this symbolic representation or a sign act that is an outward and physical symbol of an inward and spiritual grace, regeneration. It is the sign that we are given new life by God through water and the Spirit. And it is by water, again, that we acknowledge the washing off of our old self. And by the Spirit, we embrace a new identity as people focused on things above. And what is so beautiful about all of this is that, is that baptism is not a stopping place, but is a new beginning for us. Baptism wasn't where Jesus finished his ministry. Baptism was where Jesus began his ministry. Now, in the United Methodist Church, many of us have, might have been baptized as infants. I was not. I wasn't brought up in the United Methodist Church, believe it or not. Uh, I wasn't baptized until I was a little bit older. Uh, and I ended up getting dunked, which was an experience, in a freezing cold bath. And I flailed. I don't know what that says about me, but I flailed in my baptism. But in the United Methodist Church, many are baptized as infants. This is a, uh, a recognition that God is already and always at work in the lives of each and every one of us. From the moment we enter this world, God is at work in our lives, claims us, and says, I am giving you this grace. 
So, as we reflect today on the baptism of our Lord Jesus, I want to give us this challenge to live as people born of water and the Spirit. See, on this day, we acknowledge that uh, we acknowledge the example that Christ set for us in his own baptism, that this was to be the beginning for him, the beginning of ministry, the beginning of something that was going to radically revolutionize and change the world. It began with baptism. Let us also go forth into a new chapter of our lives as we continue in this new year, acknowledging the importance of our own baptism. And if you are one who has not yet been baptized but are interested in uh, learning more about this or are interested in being baptized, see me afterwards. I would love to talk with you more about that and uh, explore what that could look like for you. For those of you who have been baptized, I want to encourage you to recognize that it was in baptism that we relinquish our old self and put on a new self. That we accept the grace God offers us to live a new life emboldened by the Holy Spirit. It's in this baptism that we begin a life of ministry to all the world just as Jesus did. So let us accept this day as a day of new beginnings. And let us pray.